In the name of God, the creator, liberator, and sustainer of the universe. Amen. Scripture often addresses the alienation and brokenness that is found in our world as the result of economic injustice. In our readings this morning, both Jeremiah and Jesus speak against systems that subjugate and oppress human beings. Jeremiah says his heart is broken as he sees the lives of the poor in his own society. Jeremiah will go on to say, that Jerusalem will fall and the people will go into captivity as the result primarily of economic injustice. In our gospel reading this morning from Luke's gospel, the 16th chapter, Jesus has been addressing religious people who seem to be more committed to wealth than to the commandments of God. And in today's reading, he is turning to his disciples with the rich religious leaders still present. And he tells a parable that some New Testament scholars is the, say is the hardest parable to interpret in all of Luke's gospel. In essence, he tells the story of a property manager who squanders the money of his boss and gets caught, and an audit is done, and it is very clear that the property manager has been engaged in dishonest behavior and is going to be fired and the property manager begins to think about what he's going to do. There is an internal monologue in which he says, well, I, I can't really do hard work. I can't dig. I'm not strong enough to do that anymore. I'm too proud to beg, so what am I going to do? And he comes up with a plan, and the plan is debt reduction. He goes, he goes to the debtors who owe his boss oil and wheat and says, look, pay up now. If you owe 100 gallons of oil, pay 50. If you owe 100 containers of wheat, pay 80. And they gladly do it. Now, the, the dishonest steward worker may have been reducing his own commission, but it's also clear that the owner was losing money. And in what many consider a shocking statement, the dishonest steward 
person who's being fired is praised by Jesus for being shrewd in his use of resources. Luke believes that Jesus is teaching his disciples that they need to be very reflective and wise and shrewd in the way that they use resources. That the use of resources is a moral issue. And then Jesus goes on to say at the end of our reading today that no person can serve two masters. And then in case you don't get it, he spells out what that means. He says, you cannot serve God and wealth. You cannot serve God and wealth. In the New Testament, this choice is put before us quite often. We often miss it, but it's there. Jesus, Jesus says, it's, 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 it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the reign of God. As, I, as I've said before, the, the great 19th century philosopher and theologian, Soren Kierkegaard, used to say that whenever that gospel was read, he looked, he looked around at his Lutheran church in Copenhagen, saw all those rich people there, and wondered why they just didn't get up and walk out. In the New Testament, Jesus personally calls people to follow him. There's only one case in which the person refuses, and that's because of money. Jesus said, sell all that you have and come follow me, and the, the man went away sorrowful because he was very rich. In the history of the Christian church, we often overlook our own tradition. And a good bit of it is very hard for us to hear. St. John Christendom said, if you have silver-plated shoes, buckles on your shoes, that means that you have stolen from the poor and that you should return that money to the poor. Take off those silver buckles, sell them, and give the money to the poor. And when you do, ask the poor person to forgive you for stealing from him or her in the first place. St. Augustine of Hippo said, if you see a rich person, there's one thing that you know. And then he said, well, no, there are two things possible. He said, if you see a rich person, you know you're looking at a thief or the son of a thief. More recently, John Wesley said, it takes absolutely no talent to acquire wealth. And if you don't believe it, Wesley said, just look around at the people who have it. 
more recent times, Pope Francis, in smoother words, has said that we as Christians are all called to renounce privilege and wealth for the common good, for the salvation, Francis said, of the planet. Today, the 15th Sunday after Pentecost, here in the Diocese of Texas, we are celebrating Recovery Sunday. We are celebrating Recovery Sunday because addiction is a reality in the world in which we live. And the addict has a master, which is not God. Now the addict may try to serve two masters, and the addict may deny that he or she has a master, but the addict has a master. The master may be alcohol. The, ask, the, ask, the master may be food. The master may be sex. The master may be cocaine. Or the master may be wealth. One workable, addic one workable definition of addiction is that enough is always more. And the addict wants the more right now. And the addict is willing to sacrifice almost anything to get the more. Many people who are addicted to alcohol have heard their spouse say, your drinking is destroying our family. And the response of the addict is very often, let me have another drink and think about that. Those of you who know Arthur Miller's play, The Death of a Salesman, know that near the end of that play, Willie Lomax, the salesman, is standing there looking at his broken family. And he remembers all those times when he was out making money and didn't have time to go to his kids' school events, when he didn't have time to talk with his wife because he had to go to another meeting at, an office, at the office. And he says to himself, what did I ever want to buy? that was worth this. Ernest Becker, in his well-known book, The Denial of Death, wrote that in our society, going shopping and getting drunk are the same things. Going shopping and getting drunk are the same things. Becker is not talking about going down to buy a loaf of bread or a gallon of milk. He is talking about, well, I haven't been to the Galleria in a while. Maybe I need to go and check out 
Maybe there are a few new items that maybe I need. Shopping. Shopping, according to Becker, produces a high. You get the new shoes. Oh, these are wonderful. You bring them home. In two days, you begin to feel an emotional letdown. And then there's the hangover. And you know the answer. You need to go buy another pair. You need to do it again and you will feel better. As some of you know, uh, I am a recovering alcoholic. I have been in recovery for over 32 years. I remember in the early part of my addiction when I worked in the Dominican Republic, in a very violent time, there was a period when police and soldiers and death squad members would kill people with whom I worked. Very often their mutilated bodies would be left on steps leading to my office. The pain of seeing and living through that was awful. I often wondered if the work that we were doing was worth the price that we paid. I, often, I also remember often going home at the end of the day. A young student had just been tortured and killed. And I said to myself, the only thing that can solve this pain is a bottle of rum. And I remember thinking, I just have to drink this pain away. It never worked, but I kept on trying. Years later, one day in my office, a woman said to me, I was isolated, I was broken, and I was empty. And the only thing I knew to do was buy, buy, buy. She said, I felt that I needed to fill the hole in my soul with stuff. We can serve the master of alcohol. We can serve the master of consumption and wealth. And very often we fail to realize that those masters, that those masters are, 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 are stunting our fullness as human beings. We fail to see that we cannot solve emotional struggles through addictive power.
Predictions blind us. They blind us to our reality. In the past two years, I've had two members of my family, a nephew and a cousin, both young men who in their prime died as a result of the overdose of drugs. Neither of those two men believed that they were killing themselves until it was too late. Denial is a primary characteristic of addiction. You hear it again and again and again. I cannot be an alcoholic, I only drink wine. I can't be a drug addict because I only use cocaine on the weekends. I drive more relaxed and better after a few drinks. How in the world would you ever celebrate a wedding if you weren't a little drunk? But wealth as addiction also blinds us, not only to the harm that we are doing to ourselves, but to our world. When wealth is our master, we fail to acknowledge the harm that is done by our addiction to fossil fuels. By our addictions, by our addiction of always wanting more. But by our refusal to live more simply so that others could simply live. And our denial is made clear in the statements that we make. There's no such thing as climate change. What we need is clean coal. The earth will restore itself. Addiction destroys. It blinds us and it does not enable us to see our own reality. As long as wealth helps us to acquire what we want when we want it, we speak of our economic system as being very good. In a world in which half the population right now lives on less than $2.50 a day. In a world in which by the year 2050, there will be 9.5 billion people and 8 billion of them will live in poor countries. In a world in which by the year 2050, there may be as many as a billion climate change refugees. Yeah. 
That was the world's entire population in 1820. But there is hope. We call this Sunday Recovery Sunday because there is hope. The late theologian Paul Tillich was fond of saying that we are from time to time struck by grace. And when grace strikes us, we are set free. We are set free from the death-dealing powers of drugs and alcohol and wealth. We are set free from the emotionally crippling process of denial. We are set free to see our world as it really is. We are set free to realize that we have not been created as human beings to live in a me-first environment. We can be set free by grace to become fully human. The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ enables us to see that God is more powerful than the power of addiction. And when we decide that we no longer want to serve two masters, when we decide, when we decide that we want to have God's will done in our lives and in our world, when we decide that we want to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God, in that moment, grace strikes us. And God does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. I remember the last night that I drank, I woke up in my bedroom in a chair. I had passed out. F. Scott Fitzgerald said that in the dark night of the soul, it's always 2 a.m. in the morning. I woke up, it was 2 a.m. in the morning. I felt awful. But in that moment, something happened. In that moment, I knew that I was addicted. In that moment, in that moment, I knew I had been defeated by alcohol. And in that moment, I knew there was nothing I could do but seek God's help. And in that moment, I made the decision to do that. And I've not needed to use alcohol since. But in that moment, I also saw something else. In that moment, I also saw that the way that I used my resources had been greatly influenced by my addiction. And I saw in that moment that the way that I use my resources says a lot about who my master is. We can be set free. And that is why we are here today. Because we believe we believe that we can turn our wills and lives over to the care of God, that we can be struck by grace 
and become a part of the beloved community, which is composed of broken healers such as ourselves, and together move toward the promised land. Let there be peace among us, and let us never be instruments of our own or anyone else's oppression. Amen.